Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. I'm Craig Baird, and this is From John to Justin, and we're currently looking at the first five premieres of Newfoundland, and we're on the second premiere in Newfoundland's history, Frank Moore's. Succeeding from a Newfoundland legend like Joey Smallwood is no easy task, but after 23 years it was Frank Morris who came in as the new premier of the province, only the second in Newfoundland's history. Frank Morris was born on February 18, 1933 in Carbonier, Newfoundland. As a young man he was educated at St. Andrew's College in Ontario and briefly attended Boston University. After leaving college due to an argument with his professors, he worked in the Boston fish industry and then went to work at his father's fish plant in Newfoundland. With his family business, Moore started to expand the family business until it was the largest fish processor in Newfoundland in the 1960s, employing over 2,000 people. A lover of sports, Moore's was heavily involved in the build-up of the minor hockey system in Newfoundland, in 1958, he was the man behind the construction of the S.W. Moore Stadium in Harbour Grace, and he was also responsible for the establishment of the Conception Bay Seabees Hockey Club that ran from 1958 to 1969, and he also served as its president during that time. He was also gifted in sports himself, at one point becoming the all-Newfoundland tennis champion. When his father died in 1962, Moores took the family to year-round operations and sold a majority interest to British owners. Now, despite having no experience in politics, Moores was elected to the House of Commons in 1968 as a progressive conservative when the party won six of seven seats in the province. He defeated Liberal Cabinet Minister Charles Granger by over 6,000 votes. During his time as an MP in Ottawa, he lived with fellow rookie MP Don Mazinkowski. Two years into his stint as a parliamentarian, Morris left to become the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Newfoundland after the leadership election in May 1970. For months afterwards, he stayed out of the public view, and some within the party criticized him for his silence, while others stated he was working behind the scenes to reorganize the party in the lead-up to the new election. At the time, the Liberals under Joey Smallwood were on the decline and Morris picked the perfect time to pursue leadership in the province. Leading up to the 1971 election, Morris traveled throughout the province speaking at rallies and going door-to-door, yet typically Smallwood received more press for his flowery and passionate speeches. Using helicopters in political campaigns isn't new, but along Newfoundland's south coast it's a major event and a necessity. Both the machine and passengers have established a new electioneering style, with Mr. Moores and his wife setting a fast pace for both party workers and opponents. Having won re-election by acclamation allows the PC leader to circulate in more ridings like Fortune Bay, which voted Liberal last October. 
And consistent with the previous campaign, Mr. Moore stresses the casual personal contact with voters. It's off once again along one of the most rugged sections of Newfoundland. The South Coast is a collection of small, isolated outport communities where the people struggle hard for a living, mainly from the sea. But self-reliance is a way of life in this part of the country, and in spite of the adversities, the people retain a special pride in their communities. As a bayman, Frank Moores says that he relates more easily to these outport Newfoundlanders, thus challenging the liberal theory that the PCs represent only the urban voter. The next stop is Burgio, the fish plant community racked by a bitter labor struggle that ended recently with the purchase of the operation by the government. Of special significance, therefore, is the signing of an agreement between the government and the fish union. After visiting the plant, the premier says it's now up to the people to make it work. We will do what we can to try to put the wherewithal here to uh, let the town be prosperous again. But in the main, it, it's back in the people's laps. I've asked them to forget the bitterness, and I know it's a very difficult thing to do in the last few months. But I've asked them to forget it because of the future that what matters and not what has transpired in the past. So it's from here on in that really matters. Throughout the campaign, there's been special emphasis on rural development and the fishery in particular. This call, coupled with the urgency for a stable government, is stressed by the PCs. So far, there's been little argument on both counts from the Liberals. The mood of political change began in Newfoundland last fall, but voters then were indecisive about their choice. Now, with polling only a few days away, it's clear that most Newfoundlanders are ready for political stability and will provide the Liberals or the Conservatives with a working majority. Cam Cathcart, CBC News, Newfoundland. By the time the election day approached, both the PCs and Liberals were in a dead heat. The campaign was especially vicious as Smallwood attempted to hold onto power after 23 years. Moore said Smallwood, quote, attacked my family, my personal life, and everything else he could think of. In the 1972 provincial election, Joey Smallwood and his Liberals lost 19 seats to finish with 20, while Moore's and the Progressive Conservatives won 21 seats. Moore said of the election, I don't think the Premier should try to form government. He does not have the confidence of the people. The support of an independent kept Smallwood in power, but the government was shaky at best. It eventually led to a Supreme Court decision in January 1972 stating that Morris had won and should be the Premier. Smallwood soon resigned and Morris was called on to form government. In the process, he became the Premier of the province on January 18, 1972. He immediately named 15 people to his cabinet, stating he wanted excellence in the government. He said, The first priority is to find out where we are at present, to assess what responsibilities and commitments we are inheriting, to really find the present base of government. He then called an election for March. In that election, his party won 33 seats, easily defeating the Liberals to form a majority government. Moore said, Young people particularly want the yoke of Mr. Smallwood shucked. Hello, Mr. Moores. Hello, how are you? Well, I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thanks. We were talking about emotions the last time I was talking to you. That's right. It's been pretty emotional here recently. Oh, holy. It's it, very well now. It must have been fantastic there today. I guess it still is. Well, it is and it has been. Uh, we came out of this election with, what, 51% of the vote against 45% for Mr. Smallwood. And, uh, you know, the popular opinion is with us uh, with the uh, distribution of seats the way they are in Newfoundland. It's, it's made it a problem in that we've got a saw pretty well in, in uh, 
seat strength. The big thing is now that I've got to talk to Tom Burgess, who's in Labrador, and uh, the phones have been down all day, and until I've talked to him, uh, we don't know really where we are. But one thing we do know is that uh, constitutionally, I think the premier, or the lieutenant governor, rather, has to pretty well uh, ask the party with the greatest number of seats uh, if they can form a government, which we can, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next day or two. I should say. What did you say was uh, wrong with the phones uh, to Labrador? Well, we're on a commission, which I think is probably one of Mr. Burgess's uh, complaints, is because uh, Labrador's been neglected for a long while. And... You said that the last time we talked. Yeah, right. Around this time, he was also dealing with personal issues when his wife Dorothy filed for divorce just prior to the campaign. She withheld the divorce proceedings until after the election, and it was then made final afterwards. The couple had seven children together. Rumors abounded of Moore's love for the high life and possible affairs with other women. He said of this, Sure, I like a good time and I like to take a drink. I was no angel, and I admit it. He soon married Janice Johnson, his private secretary with whom he would have a son. She went on to become a senator and the first female national director of the Progressive Conservative Party. During his time as premier, Moores advocated for the development of the rural areas of the province and provincial control of the natural resources to spur on economic development. Hoping to distance himself from the years of Joey Smallwood, which were almost dictatorial, Moores promised to make his government more accountable and democratic. To that end, he brought more transparency to government and distributed power among elected officials more evenly. In 1973, Newfoundland became the first province to pass a Conflict of Interest Act, which required all elected officials and civil servants to make public any investments or relationships they had that could influence their official duties. A daily oral question period was also introduced to the House of Assembly under Morse. John Crosby, a cabinet minister under Morse, wrote in his autobiography, Frank was the chairman of the board. Discussion and debate were encouraged in cabinet. Moore stated that he often had to remind himself that he was premier. He said, I'm not very good at wearing the mantle. He added that he loved being premier and doing the job. The National Post would write of him during a legislature session, Moore sits awkwardly, looking somewhat like a football player at a society dinner, occasionally permitting himself a little tug at his coattails. In 1975, Moore's went through his third election, and this time his party won, but with 30 seats. This was still more than enough to form another majority government. That same year, his government created an independent and non-partisan provincial ombudsman to investigate complaints from citizens. John Crosby wrote, Frank Moore's was a complete contrast to Joey Smallwood. Discussion and debate were encouraged in Cabinet. Frank was an engaging, friendly, effusive personality who was more than happy to delegate authority to others. While Morris did have occasional run-ins with the news and accused some newspapers of yellow journalism, his relations with reporters was typically friendly. Many times he would have drinks with reporters while visiting some community in Newfoundland. His government also tried to renegotiate the deal Newfoundland made with Quebec under Smallwood that gave Quebec electricity from its Churchill Falls generating station at a rate fixed in 1968. The Newfoundland Liquor Commission was also scrapped, replaced with the Newfoundland Liquor Corporation that administered the sale of alcohol products and the Liquor Licensing Authority, which licensed brewers and establishments. Throughout the 1970s, Moore's government attempted to fix various economic deals that Smallwood made, including the come-by-chance refinery that cost the government millions and the Stephenville sawmill that had huge cost overruns. 
During his time as Premier, Moores also enjoyed the high life, according to Crosby, who wrote, Moores always enjoyed the good life, the high life, and this didn't change by one iota when he became Premier. He loved to travel, fine restaurants, salmon fishing, partridge hunting, women, booze, late nights, and as little work as possible. He loved fishing so much that he was often not seen from June to September as he took a government helicopter to the remote wilderness near Long Harbor or Labrador and spent his summers fishing. Morris decided to retire from politics, and his last day's premier was March 26, 1979, but the groundwork he laid kept the progressive conservatives in power until 1989. At the time of his resignation, he was involved in a libel suit filed against a Montreal businessman who said he was collecting political payoffs. Bill Rowe, leader of the opposition, praised Morris for his abilities as a campaigner, stating, Nobody in the present PC caucus, including the new leader, can match Frank Morris in that regard. Brian Peckford replaced Morris as the new premier and leader of the Progressive Conservatives, having defeated nine other candidates to take the role. Morris said he was a good man. Unemployment and difficult economic times were a constant issue during Morris' time as premier. This resulted in the province going further into debt in the 1970s to provide services to its residents. The provincial debt rose from $970 million in 1972 to $2.6 billion in 1979. Moores went back into the business world and worked as a lobbyist using government connections. In 1983, he was an organizer for Brian Mulroney in the successful bid to become the leader of the federal progressive conservatives. And throughout Mulroney's time as prime minister, Moores was an advisor to him. He was eventually appointed to the board of Air Canada while also working for Government Consultants International, a powerful lobbying firm he founded. When GCI took on the Airbus file, Moores resigned. Years later, the Airbus affair would erupt with claims that Brian Mulroney had been paid secret commissions, along with others, in exchange for Air Canada purchasing a large number of Airbus jets. In 1995, Moores was accused by the RCMP of accepting kickbacks. He said at the time, I'm like a lightning rod. All this damn stuff that's happening all of a sudden ends up with me. Throughout the entire scandal, Moores denied any involvement. In 1997, Federal Justice Minister Alan Rock and the RCMP Commissioner sent a letter of apology to Morris as part of a settlement made due to Brian Mulroney's defamation lawsuit against the Canadian government. For the rest of his life, Morris lived quietly with his wife Beth in Chaffee's Locks, Ontario. In the community, he was a supporter of the local Heritage Society and often contributed anonymously to several community causes. Dave Brown, a local resident, said, if it was needed, a check would come in and you knew it was from him, but he didn't want any of the public thanks for it. On July 10, 2005, Morris died of liver cancer in Perth, Ontario. He had been diagnosed the previous year and by 2005 it had spread to his back. Premier Danny Williams said of Morris upon his death, He was committed to making Newfoundland and Labrador a better place and we all owe him a debt of gratitude for his significant contributions as the province's first progressive conservative premier. Prime Minister Paul Martin said Moores was a steadfast proponent for his province and defender of the interests of the people. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Frank Moores. Next week we're looking at Brian Peckford. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Newfoundland Heritage, CBC, The Globe and Mail, Wikipedia, No Holds Barred, Hockey Newfoundland, Vancouver Sun, Montreal Gazette, Kingston Whig Standard and the North Bay Nugget. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. 
We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.